This is episode 52 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Welcome to episode 52 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today I have Ankur Puri on the show and Ankur is a very fantastic flipper. He's a guy that finds a way to make more money flipping than most people I hear about flipping properties. His target profit per deal is $100,000. He's flipped 18 properties over the last three years and he's made $1.2 million doing so. So he obviously knows what he's doing. In this episode, he dives into the nuts and bolts of negotiating a deal off market, the different types of strategies that he uses to find deals, and he even has some special offers and free giveaways in the episode. It was really cool to have him on. It had a different flair from other types of episodes that we've done, and I know you're going to love it. Again, quick reminder, if you're new to this podcast and you haven't gone all the way back to episode one, I would highly recommend it. Every episode builds on the previous. There is a chronology to this. Uh, earlier numbers really focus on the basic numbers, and we've, we've graduated and moved on and covered other topics, so I really would recommend diving right back to the beginning. This podcast only started in 2019 in February, so all the information is current. Please enjoy it. That's what it's there for. As always, I want to remind you that the Greater Hamilton REI Meetup is happening monthly, and our next event is happening on February 27th. It's very rare to find a room filled with so many accomplished investors and so many aspiring investors. Usually these these types of events cost 30, 50, 100 dollars. Our event is completely free. I would really love it if you would join us. If you are not already in our Facebook group, please feel free to click the link in the show notes of this episode and join up and I'll look forward to meeting you there. But without further ado, enjoy today's episode, which is number 52 with Ankur Puri. Hello and welcome to the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. I have Ankur Puri on the show. I hope I said that as well as we just uh, rehearsed, but... Uh... No, it was perfect. <laughs> okay, no, I appreciate that. So uh, thank you for being here. I uh, I know we had bumped into each other at, a, uh, at an event not too long ago. And it seemed like you had some stuff going on, so we put this together. And uh, well, why don't we uh, not delay? Tell me a little bit about yourself as a real estate investor. Awesome! Thank you for having me here on your podcast. I really appreciate it. Um, so I'll tell you a bit about me, how I started my journey, and everything. So um, now a lot of people know that I actually came to Canada eight years ago. Okay. Uh, so I'm fairly new. I came here as a student. Um, then I became a chef, worked in a restaurant for a year as a, as a chef as well. Um, then I pretty much quit my job to uh, do real estate. Um, I went to a lot of meetups and uh, trying to understand you know, how the things work and trying to understand the all no money down thing and, you know, how can somebody buy properties that way. Um, I had read the book Rich Dad Poor Dad when I was a teenager back home. I'm from India, so that's where I read it. And uh that thing was always in the back of my mind that uh, maybe I can do it one day, you know, and uh, but it never happened because in India we don't have the same rules, and, you know, everything is different. So um, eventually when I came here, I still had that thought in my mind. And uh, that's how I started in real estate. Um, I've done all my deals, no money down. I've never uh, used any of my own money to do any of the uh, deals. And um, that's a little bit about me. And then I can even get into more deeper yeah, well, why don't we just go back? So you came to Canada eight years ago. Yes. So I guess that puts us in 2011. 2010. Yeah. 2010. End of 2010. Yeah. Okay. So you're you came here in in 2010. So I guess you're coming up on the nine year mark. Mm -hmm. And 
at that time you had already thought about investing in real estate but in india that wasn't an option no there is an option it's just uh, the strategies that were in the book rich dad poor dad and uh, you know all those things were not readily available over there because the rules are different and there's no it's not that easy to get around those there's really no history to see what sold for what and all that so it's all about somebody says it's it's worth a million it's worth a million that doesn't make sense mm-hmm. so and i wanted something to have a little bit more structure where i can understand the systems a little bit better and see how i can also benefit in the same uh, area so that's why i never bothered okay. to do it over there so it seemed like it would be a little bit easier to execute over here because that's right yeah there's more information it's more information readily available and it's less corruption let's say so yeah i mean i'm sure there's still some great opportunities over there, there but is. but it, it's it would take so much more work that's we, true we take for granted how how much information we have at our fingertips mm-hmm. here and it's and in canada it's becoming more now yeah. like now there was the uh the rule was passed that that realtor information is basically public so yes. it's just a matter of time before more organizations pop up and start offering all the information mm-hmm. that you can find on the actual uh private real estate networks yeah. like the the treb board and mm-hmm. the other boards they have to share that information now so uh yeah we're in a pretty good position the americans definitely have way more information than even we do but uh yeah it's definitely a step in the right direction but with more information comes more competition yes that's true so it's a it's a bit of a double-edged sword yeah you're in the game but you're also competing with other people who who mm-hmm. can figure that out so uh, i think that there is a certain creativity yeah. uh, needed can you tell me a little bit about the number of doors you're at right now and how you managed to structure the deals that you did? Yeah, so I'm mostly into fix and flips. That's what I do uh, rather than buy and hold. I do have a few of them. I have like, I bought a fourplex for $8,000. So that's what I still have. Yes, $8,000. 8000 8008 that's the price I paid for it. You paid 8008 for a for fourplex. fourplex? Yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> Please explain. All right. So uh, now I'm not sure a lot of people, they do buy properties, you know, privately and all those things. There's also a way to buy properties on tax sales. I'm not sure if every somebody bought it, but I am also pretty active in tax sales too, which is basically you buy the properties for the tax owing from the city. So uh, so this isn't just an American thing. This is actually a Canadian no, yeah, thing. Yeah, it's Canadian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's tax here in Ontario. Sales yes. For taxes owing, you can buy a property. That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, I know today's topic. Uh, today's topic is tax sales <laughs> <laughs> and other things. But yeah, okay. Yeah. So let's let's dig in. Um, okay. So so just before we dig into that, so you're you're more just flipping properties. You're not keeping them. No, I don't really. Unless if it's an apartment building, which I'm always looking for. Yeah. I don't like to do one bedroom, two bed, like one unit, two units. For me, it's high risk. It doesn't make yeah. sense to make a cash flow of two, three hundred bucks. I'm sorry, I don't want it. Okay, so you're you're flipping properties. How many properties are you flipping? What areas are you flipping? Um, I do it all over Ontario. In my first three years that I started flipping properties, I did over uh, I think around eighteen properties, and I eighteen eighteen and okay, I eighteen netted, in three years. Okay. Yeah, and I netted uh, over one point two million dollars on that. Oh wow, one point two million in flips. That's that's not nothing. <laughs> Good work. Thanks. And do you do that in a corporation or is that it's all corporation, yeah. So you have it in your corporation, you're yes. buying them. And what type of properties are you targeting? Uh wherever there's money, it doesn't matter where the property is. Like my very first flip that I did, but believe it or not, it was actually in Sudbury, um, like four hours from where I am in Toronto. And we were still able to net around seventy, seventy five thousand dollars on that. So and that was like in a small city, not even Sudbury, it's like a 
subdivision called as Capriol. Not many people know. It's like eight to ten thousand people over there. So um, I flipped my first property there, and I was we were able to net around seventy seventy five. And then I've done in London. I've done in uh, Hamilton, Toronto, um, Mississauga, Cornwall, Sudbury, like pretty much everywhere. Okay, yeah, not not that different from my last guest in terms yeah. of locations. Um, can you just walk me through the mindset of being comfortable? being in so many locations like you can't keep an eye on something in Sudbury if you're living in Toronto that's where you live right that's right yeah Yeah. okay so how do you keep an eye on something in Sudbury so the whole idea here is to actually have the right connections that's number one because you know you can however have a contractor who is doing your property next door where you live and he can screw you over because he's just not the right person Um, so what happens is when I'm doing properties all over obviously I can't have my you know, Toronto guy go to Hamilton or Hamilton guy go to Sudbury. So I, whenever I go to a new location, I just create my new team over there. And then the way it works is um, I give them what they're looking for. But of course, it's in the budget and everything. But then I'm morally on the friendly basis rather than just business. Because for them, it's a long-term relationship. So it's for me. So what happens is when they do a deal, they know there's another one coming their way. And even if yeah. I don't have a deal, then I would just, you know... Um, recommend them to my friends or other investors and they get a lot more jobs so how do you you know you're, you're going to a new city what's your first step well the first thing is of course i look at the property if it's really worth it for me to drive that far and everything uh now like just on realtor.ca well well i well yeah that's the thing i don't really buy it on mls it's all private deals i have my own system going on where i get all the private deals I don't really buy, I've never bought anything on MLS, just one property so far. You know, you're just opening yourself up for more (laughs) questions here, right? Like, I can't let you say that. (laughs) We just keep digging deeper. So, so what's, what's the system? Right. So, well, technically now I have a lot of marketing going on. I have my own website as well. A lot of people come in, fill up the forums and all those things. Um, And then I also have a lot of realtors who send me deals, which are exclusives. Or there are also bird dogs. There are a lot of ways that you can get properties and stuff like that. So I've done, um, like I also do mentoring and speaking and everything. And I actually have 26 ways of finding properties which are off market. So I kind of help my mentees to also uh, dig into that and see how they can, it can benefit them to find properties. Um, so would you, like in your strategies, are you doing Facebook advertising, Google advertising? Well, see, that's flyers, the funny part. signs. Uh, I've never spent a dime on marketing, so never a dime. So you're just more making calls. No, they call me. I don't really even make them calls. Who's planting the seed? <laughs> I do. I do. I do ads, but they don't have to be paid. Okay, so what's it like? A like a Kijiji ad? Kijiji, Craigslist, Craig- yeah, here and there. You know, well, what kind ads. of like you're like uh, I buy houses ads? Yeah, I just we buy houses, you know, and then if you're in some situation, give me a call, that kind of stuff. I've done some bandit signs too, uh, but I'm very particular with those because. Technically, you cannot do it legally, um, so you do it in a way that you're not getting caught, kind of stuff. Yeah, you gotta you gotta be very crafty about those because if you get a call saying if they do figure out who you are and you've been leaving them up, there could be a hefty fine waiting for that's you. That's right, that's yeah. right. Because only the politicians or the realtor can post signs. Apart from that, no one's allowed to. Even somebody who does stucco work or drive or whatever, these, nobody's allowed to put signs technically, but mm-hmm. it's only till the time you're caught, right? So we, I try to do stuff which is legal. I don't want to get into mess. Okay. So what are the, give me some examples, legal legal strategies to, to generate off-market um, leads? Well, I also have a lot of, I'm actually on the list of a lot of people too, like a lot of wholesalers and this and that. 
Um, I also get leads from people that have already bought the property, so they know how it is, how the process was. And then they eventually get me other their friends and family, and so then you pay them like a referral, referral fee? fee, 500, 800 bucks, something like that. Yeah. So if I were to if I were to summarize the finding off market deals and 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 really finding flips that work, if you don't want to be buying a job, yeah. Forget who. Oh yeah, Corey McKinnon was on the show. Mm-hmm. He talked about buying a job. If you buy a, a flip property at at um, market value, you're buying a job. So you're going to go in and you're going to have to renovate and and scrape to, to cool. try and make money and make profit there. Uh, so you really do need to make it on the buy. You need now, to make money on the yes, buy. Yes, I only make money on the buy now. My mindset is doesn't matter where the property is. I need to make a minimum of $100,000 net. If I can get that, then it's a waste of time for me. I would not do that deal. Okay, so walk me through the logic of a deal, what you were looking for, type of property, what what you're okay with doing, what you're not okay with doing. Uh, well, normally I don't like to go into too much of structural work. Uh, unless there's a big benefit out of it, if I can make one fifty, two hundred thousand, I'll do structural, no problem. So, so you're saying like, if you need to flush mount a beam or you need to, you know, take out a load bearing wall, you don't want to get into that. Those things are minor. Those like things. Something... So when you say structural, you don't want to repair a foundation that has a, a a jagged crack running across it. Well, yeah, I mean, unless, for example, I'm, I don't want to do additions. I don't want to do something that will cost me a lot. Because what happens is when you do additions and stuff like that, you are looking at another seventy to $100,000 of expense to do that. Depends on how big the addition is, right? I mean, if nowadays, like, I, I see costs, like, me doing things efficiently. I, th- I think I'm probably around $140, $150 exactly. a square foot. Yeah. Uh, to build an addition, you know, yeah. if you're factoring kitchen, bathrooms, all that Everything. stuff, yeah. it gets very expensive over renovating yeah. uh, something. Correct. It, it can be different if you've got your own employee. Like I used yeah. to have my own employee that could frame stuff for me at 30 mm-hmm. bucks an hour. Well, then I was banking some money uh, in equity anyway. Yes. Um, but uh, it's different, different scenario. Exactly. For me, the thing, if I do that, no, I can do it. No big deal. But then my number changes. Instead of making 100, now I need to make at least 200, otherwise it's a waste of time. So that's how I look at it. If I do an addition, if I do something different, which is out of my comfort zone, I got to double my income. Otherwise, why am I doing the same job, like a lot more job and making still the 100K? You know, that's how it is. So I would rather do cosmetic. I would rather do little things here and there. Like inside, I do everything from flooring to painting to baseboards, you name it, everything, new kitchen, washrooms, and all those things. Right. So, doing so you all like that, the shell. You want the shell to be there. Yeah. You're not going to underpin a foundation. That's, I can if it makes sense. No. No. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So those are expensive jobs to do. Yeah. I've never done an underpin either. Exactly. Yeah. I've, uh, I've had to do minor structural work. I've built yeah. additions and... Yeah, I've, I've done just about, you know, everything as far as rentals goes, but I haven't I haven't done underpinning. Yes. Well, the thing is, like my whole business is based on strategies. So I'm able to make a lot more money on the same deal rather than trying to do make make money on three different deals. Like I can give you some numbers on one of the deals that I did in Ingersoll. Um, interesting market. OK, yeah, yeah let's it's talk very interesting. So this one, uh, believe it or not, she had two mortgages. The total amount that she owed on the property was around 135 or something like that. Right, and I bought that property for 111. Clear. She so bought it for less than she owed. Exactly. <laughs> how did she? How did she discharge the mortgages? Then? Well, I helped her to discharge the, uh, the the second mortgage without any penalties. So. Okay, but oh, so you helped her negotiate what was owing down. Well, in a way, yes, technically. So we we proved it to the second lender that this property is not worth it. Even he tries to go after her, she's not going to get anything. It's better to write off right now. So we made a settlement. 
settlement of zero dollars so she didn't pay a dime so she totally ended up screwing over the second mortgage lender and they got nothing pretty much Ooh, that's rough um okay interesting uh but anyways you got a deal yeah so i got it for 111 right now the thing is in this part there were actually three categories because it was her and her uh, mother on the title Mm-hmm. And and the mom or the daughter, one of them, they had also a credit card debt of twenty thousand. So what happens is when you are buying a property, um, they have to clear all those debts because it's it's an execution against her. So that also has to be cleared before you can get a clear title. So now the second mortgage, I was able to take care, no problem. But the credit card is never going to write off the debt. So I ended up giving her a second mortgage. You were just trying to help her. Yes. Like you're trying to help her get into a new property? Is that what you're saying? No. So what happened is, so now her mom had a property as well. Oh, okay. And she had this property, which was bit, which was under her name and her mom's name. Okay. So I was buying this property at 111, but she had $110,000 as first mortgage. Yeah. Another, I think, $20,000 as the um, um, line of credit or credit card debt. And she had another fourteen fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 of the second mortgage. So the second mortgage we were able to get at $0, so she was out yeah. of that. And the $20,000, I gave her a second mortgage on her first property. With, on a different property? Yeah. Just to make the deal happen. Exactly. Basically, they're like, oh, we want to get it all. And you you came up with a solution to help her so that she was, yeah. you know, she'd was she have a future credit-wise. Exactly. So basically, okay. the $20,000 I gave her, we also made $10,000 yeah. on that in six months with the you know interest, interest and yeah. lender's fee and all that. So that was separate sure. way of making $10,000 on the same deal. And then um, we put in around, I think, 111. My total cost was around 160-ish, fixing up whatever, and we sold it for 284. Okay, so you you said the total cost to renovate around 160, 168, yeah, 160 around, yeah. So that's 111 plus whatever 49,000 is 160 or something. Oh, okay. So it was 49,000 Reno. Yeah, pretty much. Now that Reno is not just Reno, that's carrying cost. So Reno and carry. was forty nine thousand? Yeah, approximately. pretty much. So yeah, yeah. And then we're gonna do so. So purchase and improvement uh, cost mm-hmm. was a total of let's see here. So one hundred and sixty. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. And then we've got uh, a sale price of two eighty four. Did you pay real estate commission? Yeah, three per two point seven five. You can make it three percent with HST and all that stuff. So so three three percent, including HST. So did you do like a purple bricks or are you a realtor? No, I'm not a realtor now. No, but you're, normally you're like four, four to five percent. See, my realtors, the maximum I paid a realtor is three percent all in to both sides. But normally they're trying to. Normally realtors are trying to give the cooperating realtor two to two and a half yeah. if they're to really entice them. That's right. So the the seller side is only getting about a half percent in your scenario. Then. Pretty much. And they're okay with that. Yeah, they do. Is it like a purple bricks scenario or? No, it's not about purple bricks. It was um, what's the uh, PC two seven five. Oh, PC two seven five. Yeah, I know that brokerage. They're out of London, right? They're out of London. Yeah. So I gave it to her, and then it worked out pretty yeah. good. And they're they're pretty good. It's not that because it's discounted commission, they don't do good stuff. They do. Yeah. Um, well, they their strategy is usually to price uh, way under market, drive bids, and then they pick up a whole bunch of buyer clients uh, from from all the calls they get. So. That's kind of their uh, their model, and clearly it's working for them because they've yeah. been around for for yeah. a while now. But I think we listed for like what two eighty four nine hundred, and we got an offer of two eighty four. So oh, you just took it. Yeah. Okay, so they did a slightly different approach that time. Yeah. So your net proceeds uh, would have been two hundred and seventy five thousand four eighty approximately. I'm sure those numbers are vary a bit. Yeah. Uh, so then your net profit would be 
um, the 275, 480 that you got after real estate yeah. commissions on that flip minus the 160 that you were in to renovate and carry. Yeah. You had a profit of $115,480. Pretty much 150, 120, something like that. Yeah. yeah. So in that, okay, so 115K to 120, somewhere yeah. in there. Um, do you recall how long that deal took you? Yeah. Six months start to end. Six months. See, that's pretty solid. So how much of your time did that take? Um, well, honestly, like I was on and out because I had the guide working everything. So I would visit maybe once a week, twice a week kind of thing. You had a general contractor? Yeah, general contractor. Ingersoll based? No, he was actually from Hamilton. A Hamilton guy drove down. Yeah, so he drove down pretty much every day kind of stuff. So he's done a few deals with me also. I did one in Hamilton too. So he did that one for me as well. So that was on um, East Mountain. Okay. Yeah, so he bought it for 260 We sold it for 463 Netted around 120 130 something like that on that too. Okay, so so you're doing some good deals with him. He knows he gets business. Yeah. You're picking you're picking deals that you know you can do. Um, so this Ingersoll deal, yeah. how, how did you find that one? Oh, I did not. Actually, the lady called me uh, through one of my ads. She said, hey, you know, I need she help. She found your, your Craigslist ad or Kijiji? Yeah, I think it was Kijiji ad on that time, yeah. So I buy houses, distressed situation. Yeah, I put those ads up. I've never had, had a call off of one, but... I think it's probably volume and consistency are probably... Well, that's true, too. The thing, a lot of time when these guys uh, give a call, let's say if they call me through Kijiji, they do say, oh, I have other investors and, you know, I'm calling other people. I said, sure, I mean, you know, go ahead. Whoever you feel comfortable with, just go with that person. Make sure that person closes. That's it. Mm-hmm. A lot of people will tell you a lot of things, but it doesn't really work out. Mm-hmm. But And then I give them the back of it, my website. I said, why don't you go and check us out and see if you're legit or not. And if you feel comfortable, just fill up the form. If not, don't worry, we're not going to call you again, pretty much. Then they do give us a call if you don't call them. So you try and make it a comfortable process for them. Yeah. And I like that, you know, at the end of the day, you were, you were creating a solution for them. Like yeah. you, you helped solve her debt problem. You got the property for a number that worked for you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it was a solution ultimately she wanted to take. Yeah. And uh, she was also able to preserve her credit, right? So if you're That's in the right. business of solving problems and, you you know, you do that, then there's, yeah. there's room to make lots of profit. But That's right. when everyone just focuses on price, 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 and they don't have a conversation with a person, you can't figure out what their problem is in order to solve them. Yeah, well, the thing is for me, the, the first thing is I understand the situation. I tell them that my business model is is based on two things. Number one is that um, how can I help the seller? And number two, how can I make money helping you? It's not about how can I make money and how can I help you? So I tell them this two, three times on the same phone call. Number one priority is how can I help you? Number two is how can I make money helping you? Yeah. And that's how it is. That's that's an interesting approach. Yeah, I'd lo- I'd love to hear hear more about about your conversations because I think it's 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 very useful. So you talk to them about you know helping them uh, when they throw out a ridiculous number. How do you respond? Well, I tell them you can all you can ask whatever you want. You can ask five hundred. You can ask a million. It doesn't matter to me. I tell them straightforward. I tell them we just go by the facts. We just look at what's sold in the area and what it can so go for, what kind of renovation it needs. And then I just tell them this is how we work. I literally let them know what we do because yeah. there's nothing to hide. I let them know if the property is going to go for 100K after fixing it up. It needs, let's say, 20,000 worth of renovation. We are at 80, mm-hmm. uh, you know, commissions and everything. Another 10, we are at 70. Um, I can give you 50 so I can make 10. That's it. That's how we work it. That's how we look at it. You know, there's a way to, to do that in in and still be forthcoming about things and say, hey, you know, any normal contractor approaches this job, this is what they're going to spend. 
right? And that and that's a very accurate statement. Pretty much. And yeah. Uh, yeah, so there's a way to phrase that. Like for for me going in, I try and I try and keep it like I could easily see spending this much, mm-hmm. and I have to build in like I know what I would pay, but yes. then I've got to add 25 percent if I'm using a general contractor. Exactly. Because and then I tell them pretty much break down. Say if I have to do the flooring, ask them how much is a square foot. It's like oh, 1500. Okay, so what you want to do is you're going to take 1500, multiply that by five. That's going to be a flooring cost. Mm-hmm. So that's this much. Now how much uh, you know? So it's 1500. So your your painting is going to be this much your roof you mm-hmm. haven't done that's so, so you I just walk keep them on, through some of the yeah, costs like I tell just them, quickly whip it, it out yeah. yeah you know and, and i and the thing is when you tell them all these things they know that on the top of their head that they're speaking to somebody legit because they do it every day so they know the cost so right? it's a way of establishing your credibility exactly. in the negotiation too yeah and then i let them know this is what it is now you tell me and then after so this is what it is they tell me okay i need two hundred fifty thousand. I'm like, okay, great. So, well, I'm talking to them, also doing some research at the same time on Google, MLS, or whatever, try to understand how much the properties go for in their area. And I'm like, uh, and most of the time they're like, oh, I had two, three realtors walk in and, uh, you know, they told me I should get between 245 to 265. So I'm okay to get 250. I said, that's great. So why don't you look, go ahead and list it with them? Oh, no, I need a quick close and all. I said, okay, that's great. Now, I tell them, this is what you want to tell your realtor, right? And I tell them, when they tell you, you can get 245 255 whatever it may be, you tell them, why don't you go ahead and list it? And if it does not sell, will you buy for that price? If they say no, they are just bullshitting you. Yeah. So don't go by that number. Unless it's been from somebody who's a professional and you have a report which says, okay, it is this value, this is the worth of this property, then I will say yes. But I tell them we just go by the facts. You know, We just look at what's going on, how much work it needs, and we do a calculation, we tell you this is what it is. Okay, so I actually just had a scenario where a realtor told mm-hmm. a guy, he, he he probably kiboshed my deal, and I'd love to have you know something in my back pocket to, uh, to diffuse that. Uh, because the the truth of the matter is, his realtor gave him a number of a comp. So I, this was just north of Barton Street mm-hmm. in Hamilton, uh, very rough area. North of Barton is not as good as south of Barton, um, and and his house was legitimately 450 square foot on mm-hmm. the main floor. You know, like maybe half of that upstairs, 200 square feet upstairs with like compromised headroom. And um, basically, he he's like, oh well, my realtor says that I can get, uh, you know, I can get at least over 200. She gave me a couple comps around 230. And I'm like. Well, first off, those aren't comparable. And in this house is tiny. And uh, I basically just went through like this house, like I stunk when I left it. It was yeah. stained with cigarette <laughs> smoke. It had never been updated. Yes. And uh, it really was a scenario where, I mean, he said all the right things on the phone. He's like, yeah, I, I can't do renovations. I just want to be done with it. Um, he had no mortgage paid off. Uh, you know, just really wanted to get out. And it was. it seemed like everything was in the right place. He seemed motivated. But then at the end of the conversation, um you know i'm like how can i add value to you like i could bring you a bin like close flexibly he wanted a, a sale where i would basically give him a flexible closing date i would agree that i'd buy it yeah but give him time to find something else and, and that way he could uh he could go and, and secure something mm-hmm. so i i said yes i can do that i'm like got one i was so confident i went in there i had the form already written out i'm like i'm gonna i'm gonna sell this or uh, uh buy this and uh at the end of the conversation he's like well basically the best value for me is the highest possible price that's mm-hmm. where that ended and i'm like after everything we talked about how you said you wanted all this flexibility mm-hmm. and it came down to i think the realtor had put that number in their head yes see also the other thing is now i do a lot of deals but you'll be surprised i don't even visit any property until i have it in the contract because i don't want to waste my time 
Because if it was in your scenario, now you went to the property, you looked at it and everything, eventually you thought you're going to get the contract and you'll be happy. You know, you spend maybe two hours to do that. Mm-hmm. I would not do that. I just don't. I just talk to them over the phone. I tell them what I need. They send me the information. I send them a contract. They sign it. I say, I'll come and have a look. That's how I work. <laughs> so you actually don't go to see the property before you have an offer on it. Now, I've done that with listed properties because then you know you're going, you're competing against multiple other people. Um, I don't always feel like that's an option. That's pretty incredible. I also feel like negotiating in person it gives a, it, it's a little easier to build rapport, but I'm guessing you're able to build rapport on the phone. I pretty much, the first phone call is all it is for me. If, if I'm able to build a report first phone call, they're pretty much my friends after that. So we just text message, we say, hey, hey, ha, ha, who all that kind of stuff goes on. So what's happening? You know, how's your job coming along? When do yeah. you want to close? Oh, yeah, you know, because I'm pretty flexible with them. I let them know uh, what I need from them. I let them know what they're going to get at the end of the day. I explained my whole contract, um, you know, what they're getting, everything. So and also let them know. Now, since it's a private deal, you can go to any lawyer that you want. You can show my contract, make sure you're comfortable. Um, you know, you just basically go that way. Yeah. But you're getting the contract signed before. Yeah. So they're not going to the lawyer before they sign it, are they? Well, or you're still that, texting? Some of them do? Yeah. They, I mean, if they want to, I let them know this is what it is. I explain them what the contract is all about. Mm-hmm. And I let them know if you want, you can get your independent legal advice before you sign it because, you know, it's not, it's a private deal. Um, but again, it's your wish. If you want to do it, if you don't want to do it, it, I cannot come and don't do it. Right. Yeah. Eventually, but they don't because after building the repo, they know that, you know, it's just a piece of paper. They're going to get the money. Now, the other thing is um, how much deposit do you normally pay on any property that you're looking to buy? I uh, I try to minimize it. I know I never pay more than $2. $2 deposit? And that's it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. You know, I've done a little trick where if I'm doing a private offer, I've done that one time before, yeah. where I put uh, the deposit sits in trust with my lawyer, not theirs. Well, which, see, that's in, power. Yeah, in my case, um, I give them $2 deposits, which technically I tell them, if you want, I can do an e-transfer for $2, or I can bring you coffee when I see you, whatever you like, right? <laughs> <laughs> so they prefer coffee and donuts, and I'm like, of course, that's what I'm going to get you. So that's how my $2 works out. Do you write coffee and donuts on the contract? There? No. They do sign a deposit slip saying that I gave them $2. Okay, so deposit received? Yes. Yeah, It has okay. to be legal, right? And then when I go there, then I just bring them coffee or whatever they want. And then, you know, it's just a good way of building repo at the end of the day because at that time, the $2 or 5000 10000 all those things doesn't matter because what really matters, I tell them, see, the thing is, it doesn't matter I give you $2, 10000 or 50000 But the point is that... Um, if I have to close, and even if I give you 10000 and if I don't remove the conditions, all that money comes back to me. So it doesn't make a difference. And I don't want to block my 10000 Think about it. If I'm doing 10 deals in a month, and I start giving 10000 to everybody, that's $100,000. I can buy a property in $100,000. So I would rather give you $2, and that way I know that I'm buying. If I'm buying, then the documents go to your lawyer. He gets all the money in trust, and that's pretty much it. And we close the deal. And yeah. they're pretty okay with that. So you you're tying properties up conditionally. You're not doing firm offers. No. So you're how how long until you firm up? Like what's your typical? So it depends how long do they want to close. I tell them we close within thirty days or less. Uh, depends if you want sixty days, we can do that. If you want twenty days, we can do that. So if they say thirty days, then my my um, due diligence period is around fifteen days. Okay, so so you're closing in thirty due diligence for fifteen. 
so obviously your offer doesn't say no conditions <laughs> no of course it's, yeah. it's, it's basically i let them know it's you know finance and it's inspection but don't worry about financing i just put that because my lawyer says so but it's going to be cash deal anyway so they're like okay and then inspection because they know that i haven't looked at the property so you know so i can i tell them like i'm just gonna come one day with me it will be my contractor or whatever we just go around your property look at it make the notes everything looks good um we can pretty much sign the uh you know waiver on the same day and that's pretty much it that's incredible and how many deals have you done that way negotiating deals so all 18 were were deals that you got that way what's the most common reason you're seeing that people aren't wanting to list their property well mostly what happens is and that's a true story that the realtors um they're on the other side of the coin now they're the real estate is like two side one is a realtor and the buyers retail people looking for properties and all that good stuff and the other side the investor side where they look for all the you know uh, bad properties bad tenant properties grow ups whatever all the kind of stuff so what happens is most of the time when the realtors come on these properties majority of them they do not want to put their name on something which is not good because whenever a realtor goes to any property what he's going to tell to the homeowner is oh it looks fine but Maybe you want to do a paint job. Maybe you want to do flooring, something or the other, so we can list it and get you more money. Now, they are not wrong, but they missed the point that if the guy had the money to do that, then he would have already done it. Right. So they don't have the money to pay the realtor. They don't have the money to do all those things. And that's why they want somebody who can buy it as is, because they know that it's a lot of work, money for them to put in the same property. But you can list a property that's that's a piece of garbage. I mean, like estate sales, those are those are the most common, like an old 60s house. The person never did a thing to it. The estate has it. It goes and lists. You're saying that some realtors... Well, the, don't want to see, list that? estate sales a little bit different because that is into a trustee. There's a trustee and there's a probate and all those things. So yeah. they cannot really sell it privately because they have to, the, the trustee has to prove that he's looking to sell it at a market value. Yeah. He cannot sell it below right. the market no, value. Right. No, but that's just my point. They find a realtor, a realtor willing to do that. I mean, I've been through plenty of bad listed properties. I guess I'm just curious. Like, I didn't realize that realtors had some reservation about listing yeah. a really bad property because if I were a realtor, yeah. I would do it all day and I just write investors, investors, investors. Come on. Because most of the realtors, they are more based on retail buyers. Mm -hmm. Not every realtor is investor friendly. So for them, it's easier to deal with a retail buyer who knows nothing about properties or contracts and just follows what he says rather than an investor who knows his process in and out. And he basically directs him to do what he wants him to do so so you're saying the real the real lack there is is in realtors that understand how investors work yeah truly do there's there's plenty that'll that'll write investors you know beware and come on out because it's a great property but you can tell they're not investors themselves they don't they don't really understand the dynamics or the opportunity and the opportunity and also most of the time, if somebody lists a property who are investor friendly, they will try to list it but low, you know, lower than the market mm-hmm. value. Eventually, goes over asking, and when that happens, I really don't bother to look at those MLS listings because, mm-hmm. in my uh, experience, I've seen there are a lot of people who want to be investors. They have money, but they have no idea what they're doing. Yes, and eventually, they overbid everybody else. Um, see, there are two kinds of people who buy properties, right, in the investor side. One is a savvy investor who knows what he's doing. He knows his numbers and he goes only by that. And the other side is the fools, pe- people who are fooled with money, who have lots of money, but they have no idea. 
and they overbid other people and then they think they won the bid, which is great, but think about it. If the property needs $100,000 of, of work and the value is five hundred, and you just paid four seventy five dollars for it, I don't know how you're going to make money because it doesn't make sense. Yeah, like the markets, I, I've seen it kind of where the market seems to want properties to land somewhere around the mark of uh, after repaired value, like the, the value you'd sell for less the cost of renovations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's kind of the price where properties sell at in a lot of on market yeah. deals if they're properly listed. Yeah, there are lots of improperly not I shouldn't say lots, but there yeah. are occasionally improperly listed properties mm -hmm. that do go for less. No, they do. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There's always an exception. There's always, always an exception. There was this other other listing I was looking at. It's so funny. Somewhere in uh, Curtis, I think. Yeah. And this property needs tons of work. Now, similar property in this on the same street. I think it's sold for five thirty six. Right after everything is okay. being done, this property since the start, since the time this person bought it, has never been touched. Now, guess what? They're listing it for how much? It's five hundred and ninety four thousand. And I'm like, that doesn't even make sense. I mean, you know, you still have to do the work. And of course, they're not getting any offers and all that. But yeah, but like you said, and not to put anyone down, but there is somebody that is willing to pay too much. And, and you know, there are some people who just want to buy based on emotional value. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that if that's what they want. But I think as an investor, we got to be aware that we're competing against that. Yeah, sometimes. And that's why sometimes. I don't buy on MLS because private deals are the one where I direct the whole show. So I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm buying it at. No tons of showing, no this and that. You know, seller's happy. He gets what he want. I get what I want. And then we go from there. Yeah, you're solving their problem one way or another. And then as far as knowing your costs on rentals, I guess you've done it enough in the different areas. You know, you're just getting into cosmetic and you know what a bathroom should cost. So if you call a contractor in Ingersoll and his number is way out, then you're like, OK, well, I'll just go with the guy that I know is going to give me the reasonable price. Yeah. Yeah. And then the thing is, see, for me, I, I do a lot of my shopping myself. So all the material, I know what I need to put. I, I basically design the whole place and then I just have a guy to do the work pretty much. Do you have like a go-to list of, of vanities, tiles, all that stuff that you just use constantly? Um, I go by the theme of what I'm doing in the house. So like uh, the one I'm doing right now in Toronto, the theme is black and white. So the whole house pretty much is black and white. Like the flooring is black, the backsplash is black and white, the tiles are black and white, all that kind of stuff. So I basically choose what I need for the house and then I put it all together that way. The other one I did was, mm -hmm. I would call it 50 Shades of Grey because it was all grey everywhere with different shades and all that stuff. Kinky house? Well, it was pretty good. <laughs> People loved it. And we got over asking, so I was happy. Yeah. Um, so that kind of stuff. So it all depends where I'm going, but I do have certain reservations for certain things that I use all the time. Uh, material wise, like for example, um, the tiles, all those things might change, but the product that I use, like cement and all those things, I know what I need to buy, yeah. which goes with what and all that kind of stuff. So Do you use the same suppliers? I have a lot of suppliers depending on what I need. So I go to that supplier. Yeah. I prefer, like, I don't like going into Home Depot. I don't. Yeah. No, I don't. I, I mean, I value my time a heck of a lot and going into stores like that and, you know, playing hide and go seek game with the uh, the Home yeah. Depot reps when you need them. Uh, so, you know, it's a funny thing. They're, they're, see, see, sometimes you do get good deals on Home Depot yes. and Lowe's, right? Sure. Yeah. Um, like really good deal. Lowe's, yeah. So that was kind of the one exception. Yeah. I would make two trips to Lowe's on a project. Like there would be a trip to Lowe's for all the valves uh, and then all the bathroom hardware. Yes. 
and then when I'm doing lighting, I would do a mix. Mm-hmm. So there was kind of like two two trips per project. Right. Uh, so I might get lighting. Lowe's was never really that good for lighting, in my yeah. opinion. But their bathroom uh, stuff was always on point, like really yeah. cheap and a really good selection. Mm-hmm. So uh, you kind of just have some go-to systems. You know, yeah. okay, at this point in the project, I'm going to make a trip. And hopefully, if you got a couple going on, you buy for both of them yeah. at the same so time. It depends. Like, for mm-hmm. example, I'll give you some costing. Let's say for a vanity, like a 30-inch vanity, right? Mm-hmm. You would spend a minimum of two fifty three hundred dollars to get something like that. If it's a thirty inch vanity, if it's a nice yeah. top and all that, right? Which I would I would say normally probably a little bit more if you want to go something above basic. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. But I, then it goes it creeps up like crazy after that. So like I, you get crazy pricing. I get it for like one seventy five bucks. Mm-hmm. That's my cost to get a vanity, which is thirty inch. Do you use like a Vanity Depot online or something? No, not. A, I mean, there are a few stores around in GTA where you can go and yeah, like I built my repo with those guys and then, you know, stuff like that, depending on what property and what I'm doing. So I kind of buy something from this guy, something from that guy. Yeah, I try and limit you know? that. <laughs> I, I, it's probably made my reno costs go up. It definitely has. Uh, but I use my I use a kitchen supplier. They They build and install my cabinets and they do all my vanities. And then I use the same quartz company every single time. Right. They know me on first name yeah. basis. They come in, measure up my stuff, exactly. install it. It just makes my life easier. And you know what? Like their pricing is reasonable. I kind of comped it to to uh, IKEA. I figured I was paying twenty five percent more on the on the uh, cabinets and install. But I'm like, think about all the headache of trying right. to deal with IKEA, design your kitchen. Yeah. And like again, trying to work with their people there and it's that's just to me doesn't feel like a great use of my time but it, it's great I'm, I'm interested in the people you've found if they're making your life easy yeah that's i mean the, it's the thing is at the end of the day um for me it's everything's about costing too right because let's say if i go with somebody who's going to come measure and install yeah it's less headache but like you said it might be cost for me it's more costlier because yeah. the guy who does the kitchen for me to do a kitchen i pay him like five to seven hundred bucks to install a kitchen that's it right not like if the kitchen is five thousand dollars so he's going to charge me four thousand dollars to install so you are you buying like a lowe's or a home depot kitchen no i mostly i buy it from ikea so you buy the ikea ah the exact opposite <laughs> of uh so i did i I, yeah. I would buy ikea so if you've got a good installer that's a yeah, big part exactly. what i was finding with ikea is it didn't matter what i ordered it was always missing something okay. there was always something not there and in london were my projects mm-hmm. and burlington was the closest ikea yeah. it's like that's like a three hour round trip yeah. if you need something that's right so it's different if you're doing it in this area and ikea yeah. is not far yeah but uh yeah I, I, you know what it's it's awesome if you got a system so who designs your kitchen you design it i myself yeah, ah, yeah. i designed the kitchen i pretty much design everything yeah so this is a full-time thing for you you're a full-time yeah, flipper yeah i'm yeah. full-time flipper um i also have mentees actually one of my mentees he just uh, made 40 something thousand dollars on a flip the other guy is about to make ninety thousand dollars in that so i'm pretty excited you're teaching them how to how to find these off-market how deals. How to find, how to do stuff, how to flip properties, how to make money, how to negotiate, pretty much everything. Yeah, well, the negotiating side sounds like you've got some some tricks up your sleeve. Who taught you? Um, honestly, so the thing is, now I, when I came and everything, I was trying to learn, uh, you know, about real estate. So I did go to seminars, a few courses here and there, try to understand how things work, the legality and all those things. Um but what happened is every time I would try to do a deal, uh, I would fail because something is not right. Uh, let's say the seller runs away or the buyer runs away or the lawyer is screwing up my deal or the realtor is doing something crazy stuff. So every time I would fail, I would learn something new. And I felt a lot of I did a lot of deals that I failed on, which I just never materialized because I just couldn't get it. 
eventually I did my very first deal in, in Markham where I netted $10,000. That was my very first deal as an assignment turned into a consultancy. So, and then I realized that I've spoken to a lot of city officials, just tried to, what I would do is I would think in my mind that I'm flipping one to three main street. And just with that in my mind, I would start calling people saying, hey, I need to do this. City officials, this is what I need, all that kind of stuff. So I would imagine that I'm flipping and I will learn that way, even though I don't have the property. So that I would, like, see, in India, we don't have Home Depot and Lowe's. And the way we do properties is different. We don't have drywall in India. It's all brick and mortar. It's all that kind of stuff and cement. So I didn't even know what the drywall was technically because I never used it. So I would literally go to Home Depot, Lowe's, go into each and every aisle and try to understand what is this material used for, Um, stand there and stare at it. It's funny, once I was looking at drywalls and I'm just looking, standing and looking there and then this guy comes in, you're like, hey, do you you need some help, sir, and all that. I said, "Um, yeah, why do you have this drywall in three different colors? And he was looking at me like, you really don't know that? And I'm like, yeah, why do you have white and then you have like a green? Like, what is this all about? And then that's how I learned a lot of things. Like, this is for mold, this is for regular, all that kind of jazz. Um, And then eventually, I also, now negotiation is, I would say, it just, if there's anything that I'm buying, doesn't matter for property, for myself, I'm always negotiating. It's just the way I am. So that's why I just incorporate what I know and and how much it should cost and then how I can help the other person to also make money mm-hmm. but not overpay for the same thing. So that's what goes behind every time I'm buying anything. Yeah, and I, I think that makes sense. So I'm, I'm assuming when you start the call, you, 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 you let them know, just like you said, hey, like I want, I'm here to help you and also find a way that I can make money too. Yeah. Do you... Do you have a quick way that you can come up with comps on the phone call, that first call that you have with them? Yeah. So what happens is most of the time the system, the way it works is normally they will send me their address where they're, what the property is. So before even I call them, I do a quick comp or by going now, a lot of comps are available online. You don't even need to call a realtor anymore. So certain places I'm able to get some comps. In on Toronto, for sure. In it's Toronto, like, it's GTA. wide open. Yeah, you yeah. can get all the comps. And then um, now I also have access to Geo Warehouse, uh, certain things in there. Sure. So I'm able to get some information from there, what kind of property, you know, how much is the assessment and all those things. So it gives me a fair idea of what this property can sell for. And then when I speak to them, then I try to understand what is the condition of the property. I try to project in my mind visually what it looks like and all those things. And I tell them uh, upfront that, um, you know, whatever offer I'm giving you, 99% is what I'm going to pay you. And the reason I would say that is because I tell them a friend that most of the sellers that I work with, that they work with me, they are so honest. I just love them. You know, if there's something issue, they just tell me a friend, this is the issue in the house. And, you know, it just works great. It just, um, and if you don't tell me, let's say your roof is 25 years old and you told me your roof is just five years old. So obviously I'm going to adjust the cost, going to have to do the roof, right? But most of the time they're truthful. So I'm pretty much accurate on what I want to pay. So first call comes in. Do you discuss price in the first call or you don't make them an offer? They probably tell you what they're thinking. See, that's, that's the winning thing about negotiation. You never say what you want to pay. You always ask what they want. Yeah. Right. So they give you a number, but then you probably have to hang up the phone, go do a little research or they've no. sent you, you they've sent you an email because yeah. they've, they've come so to your if website. They give me a number. Uh, it depends what kind of number they give. I normally when they give me a number, I just go silent. Okay. Just don't say anything. <laughs> and then how long might like, that silence be? Maybe 10 seconds. And they're like, hello, you there? 
I'm like, yeah, no, I'm just trying to understand how do you come up with that number. Can you explain me why do you want that? <laughs> and they go like, what did I tell them? Like, there's too much. And then they're like, oh, yeah, the property is sold for this much. I said, okay, um, but you have a two-bedroom. They have three bedrooms. So I don't know how would you really, you know, try to say that your property is the same worth and all that kind of stuff. So, um, so you ask them, is there a more reasonable number that you can come up with? Or something yeah. Like See, the, the way I tell them is, now that's a very good trick. Which maybe you can, you can do that too. Is uh, One way is you ask them, what do you need for the property? Right? That's it. They will say, I need X amount. The other way is you ask them, I understand that you have a mortgage of $200,000, which we already discussed, so I know that, right? How much more are you looking for on top of the two hundred? Now, forget about the two hundred because I'm going to pay it anyway. How much do you need more? $20,000, $30,000, What's your number? What do you need? That's what you need in your pocket. Yeah, so that gets them thinking about the money that they would use. Exactly. What do you need in your pocket? And then say, yeah, I need like fifty k at least in my pocket. The, the difference is when they say that 50000 now my purchase price is two fifty. Had I asked them how much do you need, they would pay me three hundred. Yeah. Because now when you say how much you need, they look at um, what is the market price of the property. When you ask them, what do you need for yourself net in your pocket that you can use, then they will actually think about how much money they need to actually move on. Yeah. It's a different psychology. Yeah. And saying what do you need versus what you want is is probably a different psychology yes. there too. Uh, so I hope everyone's in appreciating these gold nuggets being laid <laughs> down because this is pure gold, negotiating gold, right? Real estate negotiations. Um, so we, uh, we touched on it at the beginning and I said the episodes about this <laughs> and other things, tax owing tax sales. Um, I've heard about this being a big thing in the States and I've heard that it exists in Canada, but I have never met anyone who does it. So, yes. Okay. So tax sales now, it is a lot more due diligence too, because you can't really look at the property before you buy and all those things. So you're not allowed inside. But a fourplex for $8,000 is a bit of a no brainer. Well, yes, of course. <laughs> so I was like, okay, let me have a look at this property and all that kind of stuff. Luckily, I was able to get in because the doors were open. So, you know, we're just walking through, we did that kind of stuff. And uh, I said, okay, how much work does it need and how much cash flow can I get? So I did some research and then I pretty much uh, bid on it and I got it for 8008 they were looking for 7,700 something. And for you the knew property. their number? Like you knew their yeah, start they, number? Yeah, they, they let you, you know. You were bidding against other people? Yeah, yeah, there were a few other people too. And none of them had the common sense to build bid 10,000? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, maybe not. Okay, so, so where was this property? This is actually in Kirkland Lake, which is uh, six hours from here. Six hours? Six hours north. North, okay. Around Timmins on the east side. Timmins. So it's a gold oh, mine, so past, basically. past north. Bay. North past North Bay, yeah, three hours from North Bay. Around. Still, I mean, fourplex for eight thousand dollars. I mean, yeah, I guess that's why you had less competition. Okay, have you bought other tax sale properties? Um, I almost bought one in Toronto that just happened last week. I think so, a week ago, mm -hmm. and I think I was outbid by thirty thousand or so. Okay, that was a good property too. It was actually near Kipling and something. Uh, could have been a good deal, but the problem is with the taxes, like I said, it's a lot more due diligence involved and you need to know exactly what you're doing because yeah. sometimes you don't get clear title and that is a mess. So on a tax sale, you don't necessarily get clear title? No. Oh, so if they've got mortgages, you got to pay them out? No, mortgage is okay. Mortgages mortgage are gone? gets wiped off. Liens? Only certain kind of liens, they don't get wiped off. Certain kinds? Yes. So for example, if there's a lien from the crown, or oh, CRA. Yeah, CRA. All those lien. things. They'll never go. 
So you have to negotiate with them once you buy the property. So the so the liens which are crown liens, they always stay with the property, not with the owner. But if there's a mortgage from TD Bank, Scotia Bank, private That's mortgage, gone. wiped off. So crown lien, how is that different from a tax lien, like a CRA tax lien? Yeah, same thing. CRA tax lien. That's same a, thing. So that's what yeah, you mean. So if they lien. own if they own uh, personal income tax and didn't pay it, eventually there's a lien process that CRA. If there is on the pro, if, if that's on the title, then yes. Mm-hmm. If if the CRA registered it on the title, or let's say if the Crown registered like BDC, they register uh, something or the other. Everything, anything to do with Crown, it's going to stay with the property. Okay, so if they had a certain type of government loan, exactly. Then okay, if they didn't, maybe if they weren't paying their student loans, that could be registered on the, be. on your on your property. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that's good to know. So you got to do your due diligence with Very that. Well, you have yeah. to get a lawyer's search, pretty much, to know that. Um, well, the thing is, I do it all the time, so I know what I need to look for. So I do it myself. I don't really bother do my. Do you go lawyer. into land registry office, or do you do I, the I online one? I can I can do it online. Now. So yeah, they have it online now. I think it's like thirty dollars. Thirty bucks. Yeah. So you used to need to pay a lawyer to do it. Now you can just go. You can do it yourself. In fact, uh, when yeah. I used to go to the LRO office. Mm-hmm. I used to pay like eight bucks to do the same. I I know I've done that for eight dollars, <laughs> and now it's thirty. Now it's thirty in LRO too. So I'm like, what's the point of driving all the way there? Then it's the same car. So yeah, by the time you drive there, so now you just pay the extra. Exactly. Um. Yeah, I, I wasn't sure uh, about that because I, when I saw that you could search it online, I'm like, is this real? Like, yeah. it, or is this something else that yeah. I'm, not, I'm not? Is this maybe not the same thing? So when you when you pull the parcel, yes. Then so the the land registry parcel that would show anything registered, including liens, so yeah. you would know. Yeah. And then when you're doing that, um, just another tip, when you're doing that, make sure you click on delete, included and not included and deleted. So okay, you get so you everything, want everything. everything. The, the full history, everything full that's history. ever happened to that property. Yeah, because yeah, more information is better than less with, when it comes to that. You want to see anything that's And honestly, happened. I don't even do that anymore. I mean, I do that, but yeah. the thing is because I get that information, what I need for free. Yeah. So I don't even have to go into that. Yeah, that's not a bad thing. Like, so I have Purview because I'm licensed mortgage agent okay. still. Uh, so Purview is available to mortgage yeah. brokers and agents, and I can see what's owing. Yeah. I can, you know, it's super handy, and I pay a flat fee per year, and I can get something like twelve hundred searches a year. Yeah, which but is does enough it show so far. what's owing or what is the original? It registered? just shows the registration. Yeah, registration. Yeah, but that would be the same if I pulled the yeah the uh, tag, uh, yeah. There's no yeah, yeah, you, unless you go to the bank, you can't yeah. find the current balance. That's right. But you can certainly estimate. Estimate. Yeah, estimate what it would be. It's interesting. I mean, it's it's nice to have that info and still ask the seller anyway. Exactly. You know, if you're dealing for with... me, when I have that information, now I don't do title search for every property that I'm buying. I, it's a waste of money for me. Uh, but then once they, but I when when I talk to them and I ask them what's the mortgage and everything, they're pretty open. And the reason is I don't ask them right up front. I have a good repo, and then they're able to tell me stuff that I want to know. Yeah, so you, you asked him about uh, the Leafs game last night, and yeah, pretty yeah. much. Hey, Just, so yeah, what, what are you doing? And like, there was just another seller. He wanted to sell this property somewhere, I think, uh, near Barry or something. And he's like, "Hey, uh, so you know, I need to sell this property." And he, a friend, told me I need two hundred and ten thousand dollars for the property. My mortgage is two hundred. And I said, well, it's just 10K. I don't want to even negotiate with the guy. I said, okay. And then he said, I, can you close before Christmas? I said, I can't. Tell me when you want to close, right? Those things. And then, um, but I think what happened is his wife stopped him from selling. And they're like, no, I don't want to sell right now. I said, that's fine. But the thing is, I, I like I said, I tell them, tell me what do you want. And I'll give you, I'll try to give you everything that you're looking for. And I'll see if I can still make money on it. Then I'll just agree for whatever you want. And yeah. if not, then we'll negotiate a little bit, which works for you, works for me. 
it's not yeah i love when you reason with people right yeah. like you don't try and like blow smoke don't pretend yeah. you don't need to make a profit yeah, of course like it just be right up front about about what yeah. they think you would try and conceal yeah and then it kind of like disarms them a bit yeah right? and for a lot of times a lot of these guys when they call they say oh i know you're an investor so you're gonna lowball me like how much lowball you're gonna you know what is your low price that's what they just tell me up front and i tell them you know that is such a wrong concept in your mind and perception that not every investor looking to lowball you it's just a number game and then i explain them see this is what it is this is what you want this is the cost now you tell me what should i offer you that's it so i don't know if this is useful for everyone but i mean a lot of people can relate to like if you say this is like my job you know i'm i'm buying properties and i need to make a profit here because well one i don't want to lose money yeah. would you go to work and pay your boss <laughs> you know you know you want to get paid right and so i don't want to lose yeah. money here I'll, i want to make sure that we can both win and, and the way can relate. and the way i tell them that i'm not just here to make 10 15000 is i tell them up front see look at this now if i have to buy a property and it's going to take me 6 months and let's say i made like i don't know 15000 dollars that means i made like 3000 dollars a month you know what? I would rather work in McDonald's and make more money and don't have any issues. Well, <laughs> don't take any other risks, exactly. right? Exactly. Why would I pay $400,000 and then just make fifteen? It doesn't make sense. So I'm like, I need to make something because you, you see, I have a lot of overheads too. I yeah, got contractors. I got to pay the lights on, right? utilities, all that so stuff. So they understand that. And they're like, no, we understand. And they know, they understand, you know, we need to make some profit too. And it's a two-way street. And most of the times I've also helped people who are into lot of distress because of uh, foreclosures. So I'm an expert in pre-foreclosures. I don't like to buy once it's foreclosed. Mm-hmm. I buy it before it's foreclosed because that helps them not just saving their money, but their credit, which is more important yeah. than what they're losing in money-wise. If they, yeah, if they do, like if you go bankrupt and it includes yeah. real estate, uh, the recovery time is is yeah. so much longer. Exactly. So we, so I try to explain them exactly how the process works. When they tell me, let's say, for example, um, you know, yeah, yeah, like I'm behind payments. That's the first thing they say. The next thing I ask is, how many letters have you got and how many of them are from the, from the lawyers? Mm-hmm. Did you get a letter from a lawyer yet? Yeah. The reason is because I need to make them understand that I know what they're going through. I know the whole process A to Z. Yeah. And then let them know, okay, if you're at this stage, this is the next step. This is what's going to happen to you. So these are your options. What do you want to do? Do you want to sell it right now or do you want to wait for the last minute and then lose more? Mm-hmm. That kind of stuff. Yeah, so you try and you've obviously built that your credibility. They know you know the process. I can tell you're clearly knowledgeable, so I know that they would definitely pick up on the same. Right. Um, super interesting conversation today. Um, love love the tactics. I love the ideas and that you've uh, you've given to us. So uh, if you'd like to, if you had any advice to give to um, our listeners and viewers, um, what would you uh, what would you tell them if you had one piece of wisdom you wanted to give them? Um, I would say that. If you really want to get into real estate, you really need to understand how the things work. Don't just jump in something just because somebody else made the money. Um, try to reason yourself. Do you really want to do this? Because it's a lot of work and a lot of stress at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Any job or any business is. Um, I would say do your numbers right. If you don't buy it right, then pretty much you are screwed. So that's the main thing. And if the numbers don't work, don't buy the property. Yeah, Just leave it. There's all there's plenty of fish in the, in the pond. So. Well said. Yeah. Don't force the numbers. Don't force the numbers. The numbers need to work. Don't force them. Yes. Um, yeah. That's a great advice. Yeah. Because that's how you get yourself in trouble. And Kerr, if somebody wanted to 
reach you? What's the best way for them to do so? So I have something for your viewers, actually. Um, what I would like to offer them is they can go on my website, which is unclepre.com. Okay. And I have a series of eight mastermind videos, okay. um, which they can go in. It's free video. They don't have to pay anything for that. It's all the strategies that I use in my business on a day-to-day basis, how to find properties, how to mm-hmm. make more money on the same deal, all different kind of strategies so they can basically have that for them view and then maybe get some inspiration along with that i will also throw in the deal analyzer that i use for my own business to analyze all the deals how do all the numbers so they will also have access to that as well so perfect so they just have to go to the url yeah the main page there and on the main page there is a link which just says learn more and then they just put in their name and email address i guess and that's pretty much it awesome okay well i will post those uh details in the show notes so that people can uh, can go there if they'd like and um so a little bit about you if you're not if you're not real estate investing you're not crushing deals uh what do you do for uh, for your downtime uh well then i'm cooking <laughs> cooking so cooking yeah your, uh, I, your I love i love cooking so i would do some nice fine dine stuff make some you know good food and all that kind of stuff that's my go-to when i get too much i'm like oh, i'm just going to cook for three hours <laughs> or of course i travel a lot that's another thing i travel all around i was just in italy a few weeks ago um i'm planning to go to spain next year as well early next year so i'm pretty much out three four times a year traveling uh trying to explore more places and get to know more cultures um and then i'm always available to help people out in case they want you know any advice mm-hmm. or um, they want to sell the house or they want to learn the business whatever so that's that's what i do in the spare time Nice. Yeah. So this is this is your passion too. Then, awesome. Yeah. It's always nice when you can you can work in your passion. Yeah. So, uh, okay. Well, I appreciate you coming on and making the trip down here, and uh, definitely going to want to hear some more case studies. So maybe uh, I'm, I'm talking about eventually getting a YouTube channel uh, going where sure. I would do some some documentation. Maybe we'll come out Beautiful. and take a look at one of your flips. For sure, that would be awesome. Just let me know beforehand, and I will uh, have you in, and then you can have a look and yeah, see what we'll we're doing. We'll discuss everything. It'll be fun. Sounds good. Looking forward to it. Okay. Thanks, Inker. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me in your show. Thanks for watching today's episode. Just a friendly reminder to please rate and review this podcast on iTunes. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure that you smash the like and subscribe and notification bell. Uh, And also leave a comment. And hey, while you're at it, why not share this episode with somebody you think it could help? It helps this podcast grow and I would really appreciate it. Thanks again. We'll see you on the next episode. Uh